welcome to the Far Post podcast. It's another episode. We're so glad you're back to join us. My name is Marissa Lordanik. I'm joined, as I usually am, by Anna Harrington, Sam Lewis, and Angela Christian Wilkes. Uh, we we really like acronyms here at TFP. You know, TFP, ESPN, YLTSI. So let's start with that very last one. You love to see it. We'll crack into it. Harry, what did you love to see this weekend? Marissa, I love to see uh, Caroline Weir's goal for Manchester City against Manchester United. I'm sure everyone's seen it by now in that pretty comprehensive win. She gets onto it and just so casually, like, lifts it into the top corner. You just sort of see it, like, glide, sail, like, every, like, sort of classy movement under the sun into, into the goal. Like, almost a hat to be seen to be believed. She just hit it so sweetly and... It's one of those goals where it just lifts the right amount, dips over the keeper and just nestles so beautifully. Um, so, yeah, bangers like that. You love to see it. It was so, so good. Definitely getting a retweet from us. Angela, what did you love to see this weekend? I love to see Chelsea Dorber's goal um, in the Adelaide-Canberra match um, this weekend just gone. Um, so Isabel Hodgson did this beautiful floating ball across all the heads of all the defenders and attackers to the far post. And Dorba made this excellent, well-read run and just hit it first time with this cracking volley. And yeah, just have watched that a couple of times now. Love it every time. And when I watched it for the first time, my partner was, I was like, that's a volley. And he's like, is that, he doesn't really follow soccer. He's like, is that a, a good thing? Um, and I was like, yes, yes. Not if you're Canberra, but yes, that was, ah, that's very good. Very good thing. You love to see it. It was absolute chef's kiss. And Sam, what did you love to see this weekend? I also loved to see a goal this week, but this time it was from a younger player, Jamila Rankin from Brisbane Raw, the left back who has sort of taken the league by storm this season. She is sort of up there in a whole bunch of different uh, statistical categories and she scored her debut W League goal in Brisbane's win against Sydney FC on the weekend. Uh, She was also stationed at the far post. Uh, It was a little less audacious though. It wasn't a chip over the goalkeeper or a first time volley. It was basically a tap in from a goalkeeper error, but we'll give it to her all the same. She was absolutely sensational in that game. She also got an assist for the second one of the, one of the other goals. And probably I would like to say that she probably got another one because, uh, as we'll mention later, there was uh, an error from Jada Wyman, which saw an own goal scored, uh, but that goal came from a Jamila Rankin cross. So Jamila Rankin scoring her debut W League goal, probably going to be a future Matilda. You love to see it. You so love to see it. And I personally personally love to see everyone just dropping at the far post in there. You love to see it. Because if we're not going to do the shameless self-promotion, whomst is, but we'll, we'll stick with, W League chat and Brisbane Raw chat. We it was a big weekend for the Raw, but um, it wasn't so great for their opposition. Harrow, I believe you would like to. You have some opening remarks regarding this weekend's W League matches. I guess you could say the weekend's game was one for Sydney FC to forget. Because <laughs> they lost one four, guys. It's good. It's good. It's just funny if you have to explain it. Well, it was funny and you laughed and, you know, some of our pod listeners might not have seen that. 
Maybe they were living under rocks. Who knows? But, um, yeah, massive reality check for Sydney FC, who've been absolutely flying high, really coasting at times um, throughout this opening sort of few weeks, the W League. And, you know, like they've been getting all sorts of adulations and deservedly because they've been absolutely fantastic. But um, it was quite funny that a week after we were talking about Canberra, maybe having a bit of a reality check and uh, getting shown what's what by a really good team in Sydney FC, the tables have been turned and the Sky Blues have come up against a red-hot Brisbane Raw team and absolutely bonkers game. But, yeah, uh, just I don't think too many people expected them to ship four goals and, um, yeah, one that they'll certainly be stinging about for the rest of the week, I would have thought. Sam, you were there. Um, you had such high expectations of this Sydney FC team. I think we all did. And to be honest... Uh, they really got brought down to earth. What what went wrong? Yeah, absolutely. It was a huge crash back down to earth for Sydney FC. I think um, it was it was an unusual performance from them because they seemed to, on the surface, do all the same kinds of things that they've been doing so far this season, and yet Brisbane Raw just had answers to everything. Um, I think it was probably the best performance from Brisbane that we've seen so far this season. I was so impressed with everybody on the field. I didn't think a single player had a bad game. Um, And even in saying that, though, despite the fact that Brisbane were the standout team, there were standout players in that standout team. I thought, again, as I mentioned before, Jamila Rankin was extraordinary. Tamika Yallop, incredibly underrated player I think when we talk about the Matildas and when we talk about this Brisbane Raw team she just gives everything to to this club um, and to to her teammates and the fact that she was doing it basically on two like broken ankles is even more extraordinary. Uh, Olivia Chance the the Kiwi international who's sort of sitting in that number six role I think is is really coming up as one of the best number sixes in the in the competition uh, again, Mariel Hecker down the right wing, absolutely destroying Ali Green, who has been a standout fullback in the W League so far. Everything that they did, I just think I was so impressed by. And it was, I think, probably the kind of performance from Brisbane that weirdly we all expected when the season started. You know, we saw this group of players and we were all like, okay, they're clearly the favourites. This is going to be an amazing side. But they never really clicked up until I think this game this was the game where they made the statement they made the premiership title statement um Sydney FC in in that sense I think were poor they were slow uh they didn't seem to connect in the ways that we have known Sydney FC to do a lot of their passes were off they just seemed really flat um and Ante Juric said after the game that there was perhaps a little bit of arrogance that had crept into the side because uh, when Sydney came into this game, all of the stories were about Sydney. All of the headlines were about Sydney, you know, making history and going through the season undefeated and all that sort of stuff. And so that probably got to some of the players. You know, these players are quite young. They don't really know what it's like to be in situations like this. So, yeah, I mean, I think they were comprehensively outplayed. And I think the competition is all the better for it, to be honest. Sam, I think your last bit there is spot on about young players and it can maybe get into the heads a little bit. Um, 
But the contrast is Brisbane Raw are so experienced. They've got some young guns in there, but players like Tamiki Yallop, Claire Polkinghorne, Kim Carroll, like Emily Gilnick, like they have so many runs on the board, so much experience. And I reckon they probably mentioned it going in. This lot reckon they're the best in the comp. They reckon they're going to walk the league. They're not going to. We're not going to let that happen. We're going to show them what's what. And credit to players like Rankin who blanketed um, Courtney Vine. You mentioned before that Ali Green got torn a bit of a new one. But, geez, Tamiki Allop has to be the best player in the W League this season, doesn't she? And I don't think it's close. Like, I think in terms of the full product, she's does all the hard running, she creates, she scores goals, she lifts her team up to another level, she leads, by example, she gets her ankles, as you said, Sam, kicked in absolutely every week. And I think she made a little bit of a comment maybe about that, like that um, she didn't maybe get her ankles kicked in so much by Sydney. And I think she quite appreciated that. But yeah, considering how long she spent out of the game, obviously away in New Zealand, um, with with baby Harley being born, like, it's a, a fair amount of time out of the game and she just has hit her strap so quickly and reminded everyone of the class that she's got. Um, just such a sensational player. And as you say, Sam, probably flies under the radar because her type of play as a player who makes brilliant forward runs and gut busts and lung busts and does all those things probably isn't as loved as, say, I don't know, a Katrina Gorey picking passes by your sort of football aficionados, but the Tamiki Yallops are the ones that make so many teams tick. Um, we've seen her used at times as a sixth in the Tilders, but she's playing more in that attacking role where she probably does her best work um, at Brisbane Raw, and I think she's really just reminded us all how good a player she is. Um, the other thing that I think will be a little bit of a lesson for the Sydney players is because they were getting so beaten on the wings, um they did go for a lot of the the long ball over the top sort of stuff at times and that might work when you're up against a Canberra defense with a skinny 16 year old Jessica Nash doesn't work when it's Claire Polkinghorn and Kim Carroll um I reckon it was a good learning experience for Remy Seamson too because she's been able to bowl some players over in the last few weeks just by using her body and her strength can't do that against the two most experienced center backs in the league so as disappointing as it was for Sydney, I think they would take so much out of that with some of their young players, just in terms of getting absolutely bodied, like mentally and physically. Like Brisbane just won in every sense of the word the other day um, and really flexed. I would, I would say the, the 6-0 over Melbourne Victor is a bit of a statement, but I think in terms of really laying down the law, going to the team that's been pumped up as can we do the Melbourne City from last year with these kids and absolutely breeze through the league? That's a hell of a market Brisbane just set down. I think for the for the plot of this season, Brisbane Raw beating Sydney is really exciting. Um, I mean, not great for Sydney fans. Sorry, Sam. But um, was something I, I think it's given it a little boost because, yeah, Sydney were cruising a little bit there. Um and going back to what you were saying about how much quality there was on the field, I think we were t- talking earlier on in the season about whether this side had clicked yet a little bit and they absolutely so have now. And I just love play, like watching that game against Sydney because they were so fluid and they tried out different things. And as you said, Anna, like Tamiki Allett was all over the place, but the 
parts, the moving parts around her were accommodating that as well. And just, yeah, I love to, to watch it because it was really fun watching the little passing runs down, um, especially Mariel Hecker's side. Um, but like Galnick doing Galnick, I said Galnick. Andy Harper said it when he was doing the thing and I realised I like screamed because it was like, <laughs> and now it's in my brain. Sorry. <laughs> doing her thing down the other side. I'm um, in Rankin as well, just having the the freedom to attack. Oh, yes. Um, sometimes I think that Brisbane Roar in the past have played quite physical, um, fast, but slightly boring football. But this wasn't that. It was. I really love how it's coming together for them this season. May they continue to do so. Yeah, you make a really good point, Angela, which is that this Brisbane Raw side are so multidimensional when they go forward. They have so many different avenues of danger and threat to them. And I think that was one of the major contrasts with Sydney FC because Sydney just seemed so out of ideas. Once Courtney Vine was sort of taken out of the picture by Jamila Rankin, once Winona Heatley sort of took Princess Sabini out of the picture and once Polks and Kim Carroll basically double teamed Remy Seamson, Sydney didn't offer a lot. That was pretty much all they had. And Ante Juric made a really early substitution, throwing two new players on sort of around the 55th minute, I think it was, trying to change things up, trying to bring some sort of dimension to their attack. I think Rachel Lowe was one of those substitutes. And we've talked about Rachel Lowe before and what she offers. But against that Brisbane midfield, she just came up against a brick wall. Rachel Lowe against Olivia Chance, that's that's barely a battle, you know. And so I think, you know, a lot of other teams, a lot of other opposition coaches can learn a lot from what Brisbane did to Sydney FC and from the, the limitations that they exposed in what Sydney are capable of doing with the squad that they have. So I'm going to be really interested to see what the second half effectively of this season looks like now that Sydney's Achilles heel has been exposed. It's it's really interesting because there's so many teams now that have copped hidings, like absolute ego shattering, bring back down to earth reality checks. Like, Melbourne City clearly aren't going to be in the conversation this season, but they copped one really early against Melbourne Victory. Then Victory get it from Brisbane Raw. Sydney thump Canberra. And now Sydney have copped their thumping. And Brisbane are the only team not to cop a thumping like that. But I almost think they're coming from, despite the preseason wraps, a bit of a lower pace because we called them Brisbane Draw after the first month. Like, they didn't set high expectations at the start. They sort of choked their way through or were beaten by their own poor form in front of goal or a Tegan Micah-esque goal, goalkeeping sorry, performance. Like, it's really fascinating to see where all these teams are at. Just mentally, it's chaotic dub, which we love. And how much more excited can we be for, I guess, this sort of roughly second half of the season or whatever you want to call it? In saying all that, though... There were a couple of howler moments from both goalkeepers in that game. Uh, and one of them resulted in Sydney's goal. Uh, Claire Wheeler, my gal, 
putting a whole lot of pressure on Morgan Aquino, who just kicked it into her and it deflected off her and it went into the goal, which I feel like is probably every goalkeeper's nightmare, aside from literally throwing it into your own net, which is, weirdly enough, exactly what Jada Wyman did uh, from, from that Jamila Rankin cross that I mentioned in the first section. I, I just don't know what she was doing with her hands. They were just, they weren't, they weren't in the right spot. They were just directed backwards, which I feel like is not recommended for a goalkeeper. And she just palmed it into her own net. So, I mean, yeah, it swings and roundabouts. It was a, a, overall a fantastic game. And, uh, you know, it, it asks a whole bunch of questions, not the least of which is, uh, what's going on with some of the goalkeepers this season? I was just going to say, I, I do want to defend Morgan Aquino's like era a little bit. Cause I feel like the defense around her were a little bit flat footed. So she got the ball back to her and then was like, I don't know. It's <laughs> just, I'm like panicked. So obviously, you know, you with more time, you'll get better and you'll learn how to play out of those situations. But looking at the defenders around her, I was like, where could she pass to in that situation feasibly anyway but um, I I will forgive her for that because (laughs) the save that she made against the Wanderers in literally the final like 10 seconds of that game in order to ensure that Brisbane won all three points was maybe the best save of the season if that if that isn't a contender for save of the season I will riot and just to touch on that game as well Sam since you brought it up Great to see the Emily Gilnick golden boot train gathering momentum. Like we ripped her earlier um, in the season for a bit of a stuttering start to her time back in the W League, but she's well and truly hit form. Great assist for the Tamika Yellow goal, which I didn't mention. If you're Sydney FC's defence, how are you letting small person Tamika Yellow head by herself at the back post? Extraordinary. But a ripping ball from Emily Gilnick. Um, and she scored two goals against the Wanderers as well. She's scoring goals. She's getting assists. She seems to have found that confidence and just be backing herself in again. And we love to see it, to be honest, because we don't like our Matildas dropping off in form. She was stuttering a little bit, as I said, at the start of the season, but she seems to have really found her feet again and found that confidence. And yeah, all of a sudden, the Golden Boot race is actually really alive again because you've got Gilnick. You've got Michelle Heyman and you've got Tara Andrews, the tallest woman in Newcastle. So it's exciting. Uh, I thought that was a, a really positive thing for Brisbane. We talked about how their quality across all the lines and um, it's great to see Emily Gilnick holding up her end of the bargain now. You know what's fun? The last time Emily Gilnick was in the golden boot conversation in a Brisbane Raw shirt, the player who just edged her out that season was Michelle Heyman in 2011-12 when Canberra won the undefeated double for the first time. That was the season that Michelle Heyman won the golden boot and the player who came in right behind her was Emily Gilnick. So sort of feels like an interesting uh, repeat of history this time around. Love that from you, Opta Sam. <laughs> Got my stats hat on. Um, I'm glad you've mentioned 
the golden boot race, great goals, good goalkeeping, because another game that had literally all of that was Adelaide v Canberra. So we had Adelaide get a 2-1 win over the green machine. It was it was a really fun game. I feel like Adelaide Canberra games usually are. Um, and there was a bit to unpack from it. Sam, I know you had your eye on two people in particular as part of a wider conversation. Do you want to talk about the goalkeepers from this match? Yeah, I I, I thought the two goalkeepers were fantastic. Uh, and funnily enough, Annalie Grove, who made her debut for Adelaide, uh, is a former Canberra United goalkeeper. So there's a nice little sort of na- uh, narrative there. She, I thought, had a really, really excellent game, similar to Morgan Aquino's debut for Brisbane against the, uh, the Wanderers. Uh, and for Canberra, we had uh, Keely Richards, who has come in to replace Sally James, who had uh, an injury to her finger. Um, and that was sort of why we saw Chantel Jones signed uh, as an emergency signing a couple of weeks ago. But Keely Richards has really, really stepped up since she was given that opportunity uh, a game or two ago. And again, I had an absolute stormer against Adelaide. I, I think that Adelaide probably could have gone up by a couple more had she not been there. And likewise, Canberra probably could have scored one or two had Annalie Grove not had an absolute dream in goal as well. But I, I really love what uh, what Adelaide are doing this season. My Guardian column this week was about the club and about how in the last four to five years they have really turned things around in terms of their W League program. When Ivan Karlovic came in, in 2017, uh, he took over as the head coach and the the program for women's football at Adelaide was just a complete mess. Um, and in tandem with Bruce Jitte, who eventually came in as the sort of technical director or the, the head of football there, the two of them uh, worked really hard to change things from the inside um, to really start to dedicate more resources, more staff, and a lot more time and attention to the women players and to the program that they were in. And a big part of that was trying to really emphasise the role of, of South Australian players, particularly younger players. And so that's why we're now seeing this crop of Adelaide United girls who are now in their sort of early 20s, who have a good four or five seasons under their belt now, because this was part of their long-term strategy as a club. And two of those players scored on the weekend, Chelsea Dorber and Emily Condon. Uh, And we're seeing a whole number of other players stepping up uh, in that respect as well. We've mentioned Matilda McNamara before, Georgia Campagnale obviously is fantastic, and Dylan Holmes, who I think is a real shout for a senior Matilda's cap sometime soon. So I'm just loving the the story of Adelaide. Um, And I loved it. I loved them being able to make this statement against Canberra, a club that has traditionally been the sort of standard bearer for women's football and in providing women players with the kind of off-field support that we're now seeing Adelaide provide their own. So, yeah, I just I just loved it. I love all the stories in the W League this season and, and this game in particular I thought was really, uh, really illustrative of a lot of those things. And some of these players, Sam, that we've mentioned, um, we talked about just a few weeks ago, like, Players like Condon in particular, who've sort of been on the periphery for a bit, um, have had their glimpses, have had their moments, but haven't really taken it to the next level. Um, But they have to in this team. They're the senior players. Um, I don't know. I I guess in the past, the pressure's not been on them so much because they've had some great Americans or they had the Icelandic girls for that season too. 
But I think we talked about it with um, some of the Sydney girls last week. Like those big names aren't there. You have to carry the team. You have to make this work. If you want this team to play finals, it's on you. And let's not forget, like, there's two quality SA players who are not there in Emma Checker and Jenna McCormick. But these other SA girls are really making this team their own. And it was it was a great piece by you, Sam. I really um, enjoyed that. And it's looking more and more likely that this is the season where Adelaide finally break that duck. Um, and, yeah, I think we all hope that it is the case because based on the way they've been playing and what they've been showcasing. And it's something that's been reflected in the way that they, their men's team have gone about it too, very local talent focused. But based on the way they've built this team, back this team, and the way these players have gone about it, they deserve it. In terms of Canberra, like we talked about last week being a wake-up call. <laughs> this one really stings, doesn't it? Like, it's all well and good getting... Um, I guess getting your ass handed to you by a team that's top of the table, but for the up and comers to, I don't have fellow up and comers. These are two teams that got some young players to, to really hit them hard, is huge. Especially when the finals race is so tight. We talked last week about how they've been shipping goals, and it's come back to, I guess, haunt them again. Um. So I was watching AFLW the other day. I don't know the rules. Just fun time. Um, And it was the Melbourne North game, which was really spicy. And I saw a lot of people talking about like rivalries and how like it was instantly going to become like a game that looking forward would be a rivalry. And I was just thinking maybe it would be nice. I feel like we don't really have that much in the W League, but I'd really like to see Adelaide Canberra as a recurring like home and away schedule. Hopefully we'll get home and away proper soon, but really enjoy watching them play each other. And I suppose as well for in terms of Canberra, like they only narrowly got away with winning that first game this season with the the three, four win. So I guess this was just doubling down on that and sort of highlighted the issues that we were already seeing then in terms of them shipping goals. But, yeah, um, really hope it's an ongoing thing. Could be, like, the Christmas, the Christmas, I don't know, Derby, because they're red and green. Okay, this is too much. I'm going to stop talking. (laughs) Meanwhile, spare a thought to Newcastle. We made it all the way to Melbourne Airport for their clash with Melbourne City, only to realise with the lockdown that wasn't going to happen. So to avoid any further consequences, just got on the next plane back to New South Wales. A crueler fate I couldn't wish on anyone. It's big uh, Grandpa Simpson walking into the tavern, <laughs> putting his putting his hat on the stand and then putting it immediately back on again and walking out the door. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm curious to see. Like, I wonder now, I think last episode we talked about whether Perth are going to end up playing all their games this season um, because they are so, so far behind the rest of the competition. They've only played three games and Brisbane Roar have played eight. I don't really know how Perth are going to make up these games within the window that they need to to do it in. But I don't know, maybe this delay to Melbourne City and Newcastle's game, each have played seven and six, might help weirdly in that regard because Perth are now able to travel interstate. They're going to be playing Western Sydney on Thursday. So perhaps if other games are delayed by an extra week or two, maybe Perth will be able to sneak it in. I have no idea. Bit of quick maths with Sam. 
I should that was just not do... maths at all. <laughs> <laughs> I should just do like a, a summer sevens uh, round robin comp over the last week or something like that. Just compress it down. Angela, do you know of anyone who has experience in running a summer sevens comp that could maybe guide the W League? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, if anyone who works at FFA or any of the clubs you're listening and you want some advice, I'm actually, yeah, I've actually got experience in this area. Um, so yeah, just hit me up, Captain Angelo on Twitter. Advice for free. You're welcome. (laughs) Jokes. I couldn't even schedule like the games to finish before the sun went down. I can't imagine scheduling like an entire fixture during a pandemic rip to those people and you're doing a fantastic job love your work yeah we really should actually mention this in in regards to the city newcastle game like i I saw a couple of people on twitter um when the games were in the w league and the a league were postponed they were like like why is the aflw going ahead why is the tennis going ahead and football is not and i'm i was just like it's bad that those competitions are going ahead. We, we want them to be postponed. It's putting people at risk by forcing them to play in this emergency situation. So all credit to the administrators and to the clubs, particularly for how quickly they made these decisions. Like Newcastle didn't even make it out of the airport by the time they knew what they had to do and then coming back to New South Wales. So, yeah, I honestly don't think the administrators are given enough credit for how difficult it really has been. It's trying to organise this rolling fixture list over the last like seven or eight rounds. It's really remarkable. And that's, they're doing the A-League as well. They're doing two competitions with um, teams that have got different, you know, like numbers of teams in New South Wales. They've both got a Perth team. Like there's so many difficult situations. And I guess the other answer in terms of why the tennis and the AFLW games were going ahead is they were all Victorian clashes. The AFLW had um, made a fixture tweak. They've made quite a few over the past month, similar to, to football. Um, to avoid interstate clashes. So the tennis players are already in Melbourne. The AFL matches were between Victorian-based clubs, whereas um, the A-League games that didn't go ahead and the W-League game that didn't go ahead involved New South Wales-based clubs playing Victorian-based clubs, so a travel either way. So just completely different situations, and they've had to be so nimble and deal with all these um, changing situations and, you know, rescheduling stadiums um, dealing in terms of things like membership and crowds and yeah I I certainly don't envy those um, having to make all the big decisions at the moment this is definitely me getting ahead of myself as well but how how are finals going to work because you can't shuffle the top four around okay that's something to think about while I'm trying to sleep tonight Thanks, Angela. Why'd you do that? Anyway. (laughs) Godspeed. Like this is, uh, it's over a month away and they need to get the, the, the semi and the final completed by the end of March, I'm fairly sure, early April because of the broadcast window. So, yeah, God, that's a really good question, Angela. I really wish you hadn't asked it because now I'm anxious. Sorry. Yeah, I, I can't even think about finals because I'm just trying to think about whether Victoria is getting out of lockdown tomorrow but anyway let's not look at that let's look forward to a 
chalk weekend of W League coming up. We've got Thursday night Western Sydney hosting Perth Glory. On Saturday, we've got the Jets hosting Melbourne Victory. And then another double dub Sunday, Sydney taking on Adelaide and Brisbane hosting Perth Glory again. So hopefully, you know, that's two games in the bank for Perth. They start to build up their their matches and, you know, it's it's good times all around. But we'll move on to FAWSL chat. It's... It's been an interesting one. There's um, there's been a lot of postponements, which we will get to later. Um, of the games that we did have, Chelsea beat Arsenal three 0 Man City came up trumps in the Manchester derby. Brighton were back to back winners this time against West Ham. Chelsea then again pantsed Bristol five 0 They're coming up against each other in the Conti Cup in about a month's time. So. For Bristol's sake, we hope that's not a preview of what's to come. And then Everton drew Reading 1-1. So that was the match action. We had Sam Kerr continue scoring as she does. We had Lydia Williams playing, but unfortunately copping three, which you don't love to see. And we had Caitlin Ford picking up a knee injury, which is no bueno. But we wanted to talk about one player in particular this weekend with FAWSL chat. We've spoken about her a lot in terms of her partnership with Sam Kerr, but I think it's time to kind of shine a little bit of a spotlight on her. So Fran Kirby has been out of this world. Sam, talk to us about Fran Kirby and just how sensational she is. Fran Kirby, I think, ought to be the FAWSL player of the season, not just because of what she does on the pitch, but what she has done to get back on the pitch. She is an absolutely extraordinary player. And Jonathan Liu at The Guardian wrote a really beautiful piece about Fran Kirby after uh, Chelsea's win over uh, Arsenal. And I wanted to read the, the final two paragraphs because I think that it says something a lot wider about how we watch and appreciate women footballers more generally. So I'll just quote from the article. Life, if you're unlucky, is something that happens to you. Football, if you're lucky, is something you can make happen yourself. That Kirby has endured and thrived in spite of the randomness and cruelty of life tells us plenty about her environment. The strong influence of coach Emma Hayes, the fluid attacking quartet that generates the space, territory and chances for her to do her deadliest work. But it also tells us about her own resilience, the resolve and optimism of a naturally introverted woman who seems to have found in football the sort of simple peace and control so rarely available outside it. Perhaps a large part of this is projection. Perhaps, ultimately, there's no moral to any of this beyond the observable fact that Fran Kirby is great and more people should know about her. But equally, Perhaps it's possible to see beyond the coloured blob on the screen, to glimpse their journey, to feel the heft of the baggage they carry, to see in those relentless sprints and defence splitting passes, not simply the execution of a tactic, but a search for new space, new endings, new sources of joy. I... Yeah, Jonathan Liu is an incredible writer and I think that that really gets to the heart of why Frank Kirby is such an important player and such a, an important person. He mentions earlier in the article that when she was young, uh, she basically experienced the death of her mother right in front of her. 
Uh, she has battled depression. She's battled illness. Most recently, she had to took a significant chunk of time out of football in order to recover from something called uh, pericarditis, which is a heart disease. So the fact that she is back at all is remarkable. But the fact that she is back and contributing to Chelsea in the way that she is, Chelsea, this star-studded team who is almost, who is very likely to compete in the Champions League and is the standout player in that standout team is just, I'm sort of lost for words about Frank Kirby. Um, And yeah, that's just that, that was an article that really struck me uh, as as summarising not just Fran, but the, the kinds of battles that so many women footballers have to go through. And when people like us who have women's football as our default, when we watch these players playing, well, I, I mean, I can't speak for you guys, but when I watch players playing, I, I watch them through the lens of their own battles. I watch them through the lens of the things that they have had to overcome in order to be on the pitch at all. And I think that this is a piece that really captures that um, and triangulates it in the sense of Kirby's story. But it's something that I think can relate to women footballers everywhere. Spot on, Sam. It's a, it's a beautiful piece of writing and we'll link to it um, on our social media. I think... The incredible thing with Fran Kirby as well is you look at this Chelsea team and there's been so many subtle fluctuations throughout in terms of the attacking structure and the way the MRA sets up the players she involves, um, the ones that get left on the bench. But there's always one constant this season and it's Fran Kirby. And for someone who has had such a tumultuous, turbulent time of things, you've mentioned the struggle she's had, the extraordinary the extraordinary things she's had to go through or see or experience. Like for her to then be the player that you can always count on to fill a role and to not just not just fill the role, not just do her job, but to take it to another level, to create things out of nothing, to be the glue that holds everything together as an attacking playmaker, it's quite extraordinary. Like I've loved seeing the way Chelsea have played this season. They're selfless. They work for each other. There's so many big names, but none come above each other. They work for each other. They relish each other's successes. When they spend time with it, Beth England was the top, one of the top scorers in the FAWSL last season, has spent so much time coming off the bench. Sam Kerr had a stint on the bench. Peniel Harder's come off the bench. Like, there are some extraordinary players that are all filling these different roles. And it's a real credit to Emma Hayes. And Jonathan and his piece actually gives a lot of credit to her. Um, we talked in previous episodes of this podcast about how Emma Hayes has shielded Sam Kerr. She spent all of last season shielding Frank Kirby, made sure she didn't have to do media until she was ready, uh, just blocked any sort of questions about her, just emphasize it was all about Fran getting better and it wasn't about getting better to play football it was about getting better because they viewed her as a person first and a footballer second and I think that is a really beautiful thing especially when so often in women's football you don't have a choice but to solely look at them as the person and their experiences and their work and as you say Sam all the struggles that make them a brilliant player and we've not and we've had to do that because the players haven't been fully professional, or they haven't had these opportunities. So their entire stories are the narrative around their entire lives. But Frank Kirby is a fully professional player in a fully professional league and the, 
a team that is arguably, you know, being the top three in the world at the moment for this sort of situation. So for to have a manager who strips it back to just caring about the players and to have a playing group that can strip it back to that pure enjoyment and love of the game, love for each other, care for each other, I think is just amazing. And it really underlines why they deserve to win everything right now. They deserve all the plaudits they're getting. Uh, they deserve to have success when they change their team up. And I've loved seeing that quartet um, that Jonathan mentioned of um, Frank Kirby, Sam Kerr, Beth England and Peniel Harder work so seamlessly together. It's, it's a combination that shouldn't all be able to be squeezed together on the one pitch, but somehow they're making it work. I know they're all quality players, but in terms of the type of players, you'd think that they could clash or whatever, but they don't. They're working seamlessly and... I think it's a real credit to Fran Kirby and I think it's a real credit to Emma Hayes. It's a real credit to Chelsea and what they've built and what they've put together. And yeah, it's a fantastic piece. I'd say everyone should read it. And um, I'd agree with you, Sam. Um, Fran Kirby has to be right up there for, for player of the year. And it's not just about the story. It's about the quality. She's just so good. Like just, uh, imagine if you had a Frank Kirby like this. If England had a Frank Kirby like this at that World Cup, what might have been? And if they can go to the next World Cup and Frank Kirby's playing like this, that's a point of difference that uh, is seriously scary. In Australia. Oh, that would be. Sorry. I just remembered we're hosting the World Cup in Australia and we could see Frank Kirby play in Australia. Sorry. <laughs> That's my humble contribution. You guys have summed it up beautifully. Angela, you had another contribution. What does this Frank Kirby discussion make us? Oh, yes. Um, so you could say that we're a group of Fran girls here on the far post. We love her. <laughs> we got a, we, a nice little emotional chat on TFP. I like a bit of emotion every now and then. Yeah, we've big time, big time friend girls here, but she's definitely worth it. Uh, unfortunate segue from me, but speaking of injuries and medical issues, it's unfortunate news. Rebecca Stott, fan favourite, absolute W League legend, Kiwi legend. Uh, has posted an update on Twitter saying that she's returned home to Australia due to medical reasons and won't be finishing out the season with Brighton in the FAWSL. She's thanked the club. She's said she's had an absolutely amazing time over there. She's thanked everyone for the support but hasn't given any sort of details as to what's happened. She has said that she'll share an update on her health when she's ready and until then she asks for her privacy. So obviously when she's ready to talk, um, I'm sure we'll all be ready to listen, but for now we hope she's doing well and obviously thinking of her because it, it's it's not a nice-sounding message when you get an update like that. So we're thinking of study and we hope she's doing well. Um, we're recording on a Tuesday night, so we have some late-breaking news, Harrow, with with the, the UWCL updates. Is that kind of right? I don't even know. Go, but go for it. Tell us. Love that for us. Yeah, guys, a bit of live and breaking. We know that um, we've got quite a few Matildas who are into the Champions League round of 16, Matildas and potential future Matildas. Um, okay, so 
Carly Rosbach and LSK Kavina FK, the Norwegian team, they have a very, very tasty clash. Maybe not so tasty for them against German powerhouse VFL Wolfsburg. Uh, uh, oh boy. Rip Carly. If you think Carly's got it tough, India Page Riley's Fortuna Hjoring from Denmark face FC Barcelona. Oh, no. Do oh, not okay. envy. Uh, we also have, of course, Ellie Carpenter's Olympic Lyonnaise. I'm not so worried about Ellie because they're playing Bronby IF in, from Denmark. And the big one, and it is a big one, Sam Kerr's Chelsea face Atletico Madrid in the round of 16. Oh, oh my God. One. It's a spicy one. It's going to be so good. Okay, so the rest of the non-Tilly, so not so interesting fixtures. FC Rosengard against SKN St. Poulton Frauen. Uh, we have WFC Bick Kazigert against Bayern Munich. I only see that going one way. Manchester City against ACF Fiorentina, where Lisa Devani used to play. AC Sparta Praha play PSG. And that wraps it up. I think the best games probably involve our Tillies anyway. So we move on. I think that's enough. Enough out of me. But it's not enough out of you because it's time for the boot. Yes. Well, we're getting a bit sick of this, to be honest. Hang on. I I shouldn't have said that because people think I'm booting broadcast issues. No, 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 no. Even worse than that is when the games just don't get played at all which is what we've seen in the FAWSL this week. It's a winter league. Things that can happen in winter. Snow, bad weather, cold, rain. <laughs> like, But no, no, no. Apparently in a professional, fully professional league in the UK where it snows in winter, haven't thought maybe we should have some contingency plans. Maybe some of the big clubs could play at grounds with under soil heating. Maybe some other clubs could, I don't know, their men's teams could help them out, get a venue where the pitch freezing over is not going to be an issue. Maybe, maybe. Apparently not because it's happened again. So we saw Birmingham's game against Aston Villa called off because of this exact reason, an unplayable pitch. So the problem is there was a little bit of politics in the build-up because apparently it would have cost a £500 fee to move their local derby against Aston Villa to St George's Park to make sure the game got played. No issues, no dramas. Apparently they didn't want to pay, said no. Aston Villa then apparently offered to pay. Birmingham said no because it would have been, I guess, a loss of face to have your rivals pay for this. £500, give me a spell. Uh, And, of course, predictably... The game goes well, was due to go ahead at its fixed ground. Game gets called off because the pitch was no good. Now Birmingham have about four games in hand, I think, on everyone else because of all these games they've not been able to play. Ridiculous. Then, a few days later, we turn around and Arsenal, who've had so many issues in terms of not being able to play games, like there was... Um, we know the situation with the, the COVID-19 stuff and the Dubai trips where teams didn't get games going. And they've had quite a few now where there's been waterlogged pitches or frozen pitches and they've just not gone ahead. 
happened again when they were meant to play Aston Villa on the weekend. I, I just can't imagine how frustrating this is for the players. But at this point, you have to be wondering, how is this a problem? Like, how is this happening? As I said at the start of this monologue, this is a winter competition. You know that snow could be a problem. You know that heavy rain could be an issue. There are no shortage of football pitches in the UK. Like, no shortage at all. Especially with some of these teams where it's, it's clearly not been an issue for, say, a Man City or Man United who have made a point of using the right facilities and their games continually go ahead. But how are some of these teams, especially when crowds aren't allowed at the men's game or the women's game, not working to get some sort of solution? There has been suggestions that maybe you could play them at the Emirates or at uh, White Hart Lane or the London Stadium. And I know there's issues with rent and that, but all these, these clubs are pretty wealthy and you'd think could cover that. And in regards to some of the other teams, surely there are other local options. Surely the men's teams can help out because most of the games across various men's leagues still manage to find a way to go ahead. It's just frustrating. It doesn't have to be like at the best stadium in all of London or in all of the UK, but there has to be some sort of contingency plan to get these games going. And Tom Gary did a a big article about this in The Telegraph and made a really, I thought, um, important point that there are more and more eyeballs on the WSL than ever. And there's going to be a broadcast deal with a fair bit of money involved. And as we've seen with broadcast negotiations here in Australia, broadcasters need games. They need content. They are not going to, like your skies, for example, are not going to cop having games just called off like that because of a frozen pitch, which is a situation that can so easily be avoided by having contingency plans. It's just not good enough and it's so avoidable I think that's the problem with so many of our boots you look at these things and you go this is avoidable surely people could see this coming from a mile off especially when there's been precedents this season especially when there should have been lessons already learned it's frustrating the athletes deserve better the fans tuning in deserve better and everyone that relishes the spectacle of this league deserves better it's a big boot Yeah, and I think that there are probably some parallels that can be drawn in terms of discussions about grounds in the W League as well. Um, There's a a game that's going to be played uh, this coming round at Cromer Park up in Manly, and that pitch is synthetic. Um, It's the only synthetic pitch that's been used in the W League for a while, but there's sort of increasing chat that players are really unsatisfied with that surface. Um, And we have seen a couple of games, uh, particularly down in Victoria, where they've been played on pitches that really just look like paddocks. Like they're not super uh, comfortable seemingly for players to play on. And you have to start to wonder, you know, is it going to take a serious injury for people to start to take the, the pitches and the grounds that women teams, women's teams play at seriously um, obviously, W League doesn't have the same problem as the FAWSL in this regard. In fact, it has the polar opposite problem in the sense that we play in the heat of summer and not the, the freezing cold of winter. Um, but there are, I think, uh, broader themes uh, that the two competitions share in that regard in that the, the leagues and the broadcasters uh, need to come to some sort of equilibrium and some sort of understanding where games can go ahead on pitches that are satisfactory for broadcasting you know we've seen w league games where 
Melbourne City, for example, had to have some of their Dandenong-based games moved because the pitch was not up to standard and the, the sort of the broadcasting situation couldn't occur there um, because of the scaffolding or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, I think this is it's, it's something that I'm going to be, I think, paying quite close attention to, the way that uh, the, the FA over in England address this, particularly given the new broadcasting arrangements coming up because Australia is in exactly the same situation. We've got a new broadcasting agreement uh, discussion sort of coming up at the end of the season after the Fox Sports one is over. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what role pitches and smaller stadiums play uh, in, in those negotiations. Is this the fabled small boot? We can't boot. Size six more, boot. <laughs> Is size six a small shoe size? I don't know. I have yeah. size 10 clompers. <laughs> A ten and a half. So yeah, I think six is probably small. Yeah, my my feet are small. They're like an eight to eight and a half, depending on the shoe size. So I'd say six is small. Okay, a size six boot. The size six boot, and for people who are fans of our feet, they now know what size we wear. So sure, do with that what you will. Anyway, free shoes, hopefully. <laughs> Got a long, Please. long winter of covering footy up ahead. Help me out. Uh, a little boot, but still plenty of how goods. Angela, do you want to kick us off with a how good? I sure do. Um, we had following on from last week's how good. Um, this week, Brisbane Roar's Claire Polkinghorn gave a little shout out in her goal celebration to teammate Katrina Gorey, who is pregnant, um, by doing you know her signature fist pump and then a little like gesture like she was rocking a baby in her arms it was real cute um given the whole context of it all so yeah how good so good and I think Minnie said that uh Polks has risen right up in the favorite auntie stakes as well so Claire knows what oh, she's doing she's so she's not it was it was all politics is what you're telling me <laughs> look there's a lot of aunties for this baby you don't want to be down in the hierarchy uh, Samantha, how good? Yeah, uh, following on from baby chat, uh, NWSL fans, US Women's National Team fans uh, found out this week that goalkeeper Ashlyn Harris and her wife, Ali Krieger, have adopted a baby girl. Her name is Sloane Phillips. And in the Instagram post that they used to announce it, they said something really beautiful. They sent a message to the birth mother of the child that they've adopted. And they said, dear birth mum, our promise to you, we promise Sloane will be loved every single day by us, our friends and our family. We promise to give her the tools to live a happy, successful life of inclusivity and support. We promise to share her adoption story with her from the very beginning and celebrate every milestone. We promise to encourage her to follow her dreams, no matter how big or small. We promise to be open-minded and respect your wishes to have future communication and that she will always know how much you love her. I just thought it was so lovely and, you know, it, it sort of feels like women's football is going through a bit of a transition phase in terms of redefining what it means to have a family and redefining what it means to be a mother and an, uh, and an athlete. Uh, Katrina Gorey is, you know, a really good example of that in an Australian context, following on from people like Melissa Barbieri, Heather Garriock, 
and Ali and Ashlyn are following on from the tradition started by people like Alex Morgan and Sydney LaRue and, and all this sort of stuff. So yeah, I, it's just really lovely. And, and what was even lovelier about it was that uh, so many athletes around the world, not just in football, but just other women athletes celebrated them uh, and congratulated them on their, on their decision to adopt a little girl. So yeah, uh, how good. So good, so cute. But Woso does feel kind of like Facebook at the moment where just everyone you know is having babies and getting married and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot. Um, But, no, it's so wonderful. Harrow, how good from you? Yeah, Marissa, my how good ties into Sam did this ripping piece about, um, I guess, representation of the queer community um, in women's football and that was with an Australian slant and had some really, we talked about this, some really great um, quotes from Grace Gill. but I guess over in the FAWSL and actually in the world, one of the most prominent out couples in women's football is Magdalena Eriksson and Peniel Harder, who are, of course, now teammates at Chelsea. And this was super sweet. Um, they've always been very out there. Um, they give part of their salaries to Common Gold. They do all sorts of great things and uh, you can't not like them. Uh, the latest thing they've done is on Valentine's Day, um, they've both jumped on Twitter and I think Instagram as well. Um, so Mag just tweeted here, I'm so lucky to have a relationship with a woman I love, but I know this isn't the case for everyone, especially in these times. In the LGBT community, these problems can feel even worse. So for the next few hours, Peniel and I will open our DMs for anyone who wants to chat. And Peniel um, herself has done a similar tweet, um, actually probably a bit more moving than Magda saying, I'm lucky to have a family who was nothing but happy for me when I came out seven years ago. I know a lot of people are struggling to tell their friends and families they are gay, which must be the worst feeling I can imagine. To come out should be should feel natural to anybody and likewise be accepted by everyone. For the next hours, Magda and I will open our DMs. For anyone who struggles to come out, wants to know about our experiences or just look for good advice on Valentine's Day, which is just incredible. Like these two women are so brilliant in terms of being visible with their love and the status of their relationship and the way they so willingly and openly talk about everything from the meeting to falling in love to Pernille saying, you know, Magda was, I think, the first person she ever felt she could really be with um, and helped her sort of, uh, I guess, get her head around her sexuality. And I think it's just fantastic that these are two women in their like late 20s to late 20s who are so comfortable with themselves and in their environment and just want to make the world better and for them when they could so easily be just soaking it up in lockdown effectively in London on Valentine's Day you know like just trying to make the best of a bad thing instead they're thinking about other people they're so aware of what their representation means to young people and to I guess the wider community and for them to also then take the active step of I can't imagine everything they get in those DMs will be great either of taking on everything that would come to them in messages. And I'm sure there'd be some lovely ones. There'd be some not so lovely ones, but there'd be people who would probably be reaching out who have never reached out to someone before because it's accessible. It's someone who they look up to or who they can see themselves in like saying, talk to me about what you're going through because I've, probably went through it too or I know people who went through it or I never went through it but I want to make sure that other people can feel safe and happy with who they are too and I just 
reckon it's fantastic. And it tied in really beautifully to what Sam said about how people like Grace Gill and Chantel Jones in the W League um, were just representative of what sport and the amazing women in women's football in particular can do for a community. And for them to do it on Valentine's Day, which, you know, not everyone's about, but it can be a great day for some people. It can be a really tough day for others. For them to use it as an opportunity to reach out and say, we'll open our arms, you just walk into them and we'll put them around you. I just think it was brilliant and, uh, yeah, a real testament to their respective characters. How good. And someone did say, like, a, you know, sort of to be expected, they were like, oh, you've lost a fan. And Pinnell Harder was like, fine, cool, don't want fans like you, off your trot, which I thought was great. Just clapped back at them on Twitter, which was awesome to see as well. Um, which is actually said, yeah, great. see ya. See ya. Yes, that's it. See ya. Don't want fans like you anyway. Love that. Legend. Fan of the far post. (laughs) That's what I'm hearing here. That is what I'm hearing here. Or am I just blowing my own horn? Probably. (laughs) Anyway, doesn't matter. It's so good. It was a real... Nice prop of how good's there. Like, big wholesome factor this episode, you guys. Like, just really good stuff. Um, but, yeah, I think that's that's enough from us for another week. Thank you so much for, for tuning in. So you can now find us on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. So definitely get around those, download them, check out all the content on there. You can find Sam's articles for them and you can find us so plenty of good stuff to wrap your eyes and ears around you can also find us in all the usual places on your spotify your apple your google feel free or no not feel free please leave reviews please be nice to us it would be really really lovely even if it's just a five-star review or a comment if you like what we're doing it's it's really nice and it really helps us move things along with the pod but yeah, thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can always chat to us at the Far Post Pod on all social media. And until next week, in the words of me and Peniel Harder now, see ya.